0: Welcome to Point by Point, conversations, interviews, and legal commentary for today's business professionals. Brought to you by Waller.
1: Welcome to Point by Point. This is Waller's chief business development officer and the host of the podcast, Morgan Ribeiro. On today's episode, I am joined by Kevin Tran, an attorney in Waller's corporate practice group who advises financial institutions on bank regulatory matters. So I've asked you to join me on today's episode to discuss the upcoming presidential election and the impact that could have on our clients in the banking industry. So to kick things off, of course, let's talk about our favorite topic du jour, presidential election and what this uncertainty, um, what's to come of all of this?
0: At the most basic level, there's an expectation that if President Trump wins re-election, regulators will continue rolling back post-financial crisis Dodd-Frank reforms. Um, if you recall, the Dodd-Frank Act was pretty much the largest overhaul of financial regulations uh, coming out of the uh, 2008 financial crisis. And meanwhile, a, a Biden victory, probably means a reinstituting or a strengthening of certain Dodd-Frank reforms. Uh, again, he was vice president when Dodd-Frank was passed. So it wouldn't come as a surprise if some of the provisions he championed back then, he continues to champion. But in all honesty, that's a pretty basic view of the... Uh, of the regulatory landscape i think there's a lot of nuance especially under a biden presidency given that he would be coming into an environment where really the option is do you maintain the status quo in light of all the economic stresses caused by covid or do you start implementing your bank regulatory platform which for the for the most part likely means increasing regulation that's a tension that Again, if if Biden wins, he's going to have to navigate.
1: Right. So looking at this more granularly for a moment, can you speak more to those rollbacks and what those would look like under Trump? And conversely, what would the increased regulation look like under a Biden victory?
0: To talk about President Trump first, back in 2018, this is 10 years after the financial crisis, about seven or eight years after Dodd-Frank gets passed, he signed into law the Economic Growth, Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act, which began the very large rollback of a lot of Dodd-Frank reforms for pretty much all but the largest banks in the United States. So essentially, banks under $250 billion got quite a bit of relief, whether it took the form of Volcker Rule relaxations, less frequent bank exams, the, the need no longer to having the need to do company-run stress tests. So you have a lot of regulatory relief and really regulatory relief is just a speak for loosening of restrictions, and which means less cost and less compliance matters that that the banks have to deal with. So it would not be a surprise that if Trump remains in office, that that type of deregulation continues on. From, from I guess, the Trump administration's eyes, there's still a lot of rollbacks that can happen to help community banks, to help A
1: huge swath of banks. I'd imagine, in addition to the actual policies, we would need to think about political appointments. Can you speak more to what those considerations would look like under each option?
0: When Trump came to office, he had appointed leadership in the CFPB that took a turn from then President Obama's administration. What you saw with a lot of President Trump's appointees was a pretty drastic decline in enforcement actions done by the CFPB. And more recently, under Kathy Craninger's leadership, they continuing to scale back on several consumer protection provisions. Most notably, they've relaxed some under, underwriting requirements for payday lenders, which made a lot of consumer advocacy groups very angry. Because again, I think the big fear among advocacy groups is the 2008 financial crisis was only 11 years or 12 years ago. Yeah. So I mean, it, it shouldn't be forgotten in a lot of folks' memory. So as you roll back a lot of these protections that, were, that came out of it, there's a fear that you're essentially creating an environment where another financial crisis could happen. And from the bank perspective, there's certainly been appreciation for deregulation. I mean, it, it naturally lowers their costs and, and affords them a lot of opportunity to do a broader scope of activities. That being said, coming on an election is, I don't want to say scary, but there's a lot of hand-wringing involved, especially in a election where you have two candidates who, I don't want to say they're diametrically opposed positions, but their platforms are on opposite ends of the spectrum enough, such that it's hard to predict.
1: Definitely difficult to predict. Any changes we can expect to come from Fannie and, and Freddie?
0: Right now, Mark Calabria, the, the the director of the FHFA, essentially the person who controls Fannie and Freddie, Freddie under the, the federal conservatorship, there has been a very large push under his uh, leadership and through the Trump administration that we're going to privatize Fannie and Freddie. We're going to remove them off of conservatorship, where they've been for almost—I think—probably more than a decade. And that sounds well and good, but for the past ten years, banks have gotten used to Fannie and Freddie being there for them buying mortgage loans. And so, you know, what we have taken for granted. And as a very recent home buyer, I didn't really think of getting a mortgage loan, any type of mortgage loan, other than a thirty-year fixed. That's in, in our experience, I think that's a pretty typical mortgage loan for any person and any family. One of the reasons why banks feel comfortable extending a 30-year loan to a borrower is they kind of have the backstop of Fannie and Freddie with government uh, funding to buy these loans. To the extent that Fannie and Freddie becomes private, you don't have that safety net. So you know, the question is, will Fannie and Freddie still be amenable to buying 30-year fixed? And if they are, what type of 30-year fixed lo- loans will they be interested in buying? And the banks who are the ones actually issuing those loans have to be cognizant uh, and, and understand the temperature of Fannie and Freddie, because if they issue loans that ultimately Fannie and Freddie won't take, that sits on their books and that exposes them to risk. So there's a there's a cascading effect that could happen if Fannie and Freddie goes private.
1: Kevin, what about the Supreme Court decision that's floating around out there as to whether or not, you know, you can essentially terminate a current director without cause and appoint their own appointee? You know, there's been some some conversation around that.
0: With a Biden presidency, there's still a Supreme Court decision floating out of there as to whether or not Biden can essentially terminate current director without cause and appoint his own appointee. Um, It's very similar to the Supreme Court decision that ruled the CFPB structure as unconstitutional. So if we assume that Biden could appoint a new head to the FHFA, then the question of privatization probably, I don't want to say it goes away altogether, but it's the pressure on that certainly is reduced because Biden has talked about, you know, maybe we turn it into a public utility, maybe we extend the conservatorship for several more years just to get a better understanding of how things shake out. So I think in that very narrow example, um, you can see that there is a potential of going. There's a fork in the road there depending on who is sitting in the, in, in the presidency. And I think that example is very similar to plenty of other examples, um, especially in situations where the president does have the power to appoint directors. That power is somewhat muted when you have an agency led by a board like the Fed or the FDIC. But in the case of the CFPB, it's one director. In the case of the FHFA, it's one director. And in the case of the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the third federal bank agency, it's one controller. So having that appointment power is very important because it can shape how an entire institution regulates.
1: FinTech, you know, that's that's a space right now. Obviously, you know, we look at people being able to access things online that they used to go in, you know, in person to the bank, for instance, and make a deposit. Many banks are now having to innovate rather rapidly in in the time of um, stay-at-home orders and um, more people, you know, wanting to socially distance. So I'm curious to get your perspective on, on what's to come in the FinTech space.
0: This space in particular is very ripe for innovation both on the bank side and on the regulatory side. Just to point to a couple of examples, either June or July, the state of Wyoming issued a special charter for essentially a a bank to be created that would serve as a a custodian for virtual currencies. So this essentially is, I want to say, the first crypto bank, if you will, that has been granted a charter. And this was something that the OCC championed under former comptroller audit who stepped down in May the OCC had proposed a special fintech charter if you will that's currently under uh, litigation the person who succeeded coinbase which is very which is an enormous player in the crypto space and I think at the OCC before he was the Comptroller, and he, he might have he might still be in the chair but he chaired the uh, technology subcommittee there. so you have someone in power at the OCC who is very close to the very much understands the technology industry. So it'll be interesting to see, again, if Trump wins the election and makes the the current director no longer an acting, but the permanent director, what direction he'll take with respect to fintech and whether or not the OCC may lead the charge and, and bring along the Fed and the FDIC in terms of how they regulate fintech. And that might open a lot more opportunities for banks to engage in this space. And on vice versa, You know, if Biden wins the election, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a movement away from fintech, uh, especially considering what COVID has forced a lot of banks to develop in terms of their digital banking platform. But again, we don't know any specifics as to how he would approach this. Um, it, is it more, slightly more, less, slightly less regulating? There's enough uncertainty that you can't banks can't plant their flag and say we're going to head in this direction no matter what, because the last thing you want to do is, again, as you figure out your strengths and weaknesses, plant your flag, go in a direction only to have regulation tell you you can't go in that direction anymore. And that you know, generally results in a lot of wasted effort, wasted time and a lot of wasted costs. So um, I think that's just a sampling of how regulation could shape out under either administration.
1: Kevin, just to wrap this conversation up, I always like to leave our listeners with some some practical advice, some tips. You are a former regulator yourself. So, you know, from your perspective, what can banks do with this information and where do they go from here?
0: I think it's again it's it's also a much more interesting proposition under a Biden presidency because he's he would be coming into an economically uncertain environment due to COVID no one can control on top of having a bank regulatory platform that is more regulation heavy than a Trump president. And, and that that's not surprising that, that he would be more in favor of strengthening certain regulations. But again, the practical reality is, are you going to go put your head down and go, and go gung ho? to realize your platform in the face of something like COVID? Or are you going to maintain the status quo until the environment is such that it would... more palatable for you to pursue your platform and how long does that really
1: take thanks for joining me today kevin i've enjoyed the conversation i want to encourage our listeners and remind them that um, we do actually have an upcoming webinar with that we're hosting with artisan advisors um, and that will be on december 5th of course after the election and at that point i think we'll know a lot more about what the future looks like at least hopefully we will Um, so i encourage everyone to go to artisan advisors website if they're interested in attending that webinar and registering for that
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Point by Point brought to you by Waller. Visit the news and insights section of our website to listen to more episodes. Subscribe to the podcast. Find show notes and more.